Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. We're now joined by Sam Khan, the Athletic.com, did an article about AM. They lost to Tennessee. Uh, they're in most every game they play, even the ones they lose. And there is the, the question about is this all they are? This is who they're going to be. And Sam joins us on 365 Sports. Sam, what do you what do you feel like? Just another loss. It seems like it's always or it appears to be, yet again, an offense that just doesn't seem to produce. Yeah, the 277 yards and 13 points against Tennessee. When you consider the amount of talent on the roster, uh, how many four-star offensive linemen they have, how many four- and five-star receivers they have, uh, how many four- and five-star running backs they have, the fact that you could only garner 13 points and 277 yards against Tennessee, which Tennessee's they're good, but I, I didn't see a team that I thought was dominant or overbearing that's that's an indictment on really in my opinion the coaching and and the team because there's no when when i watch a&m as a team there's no question to me about the talent they have i think they have all the talent you could want and and they have a roster that looks like uh, alabama's or lsu's it's that they have they are at that level now in terms of the way they've recruited and it shows you look at the defensive line the defensive front they have has got to be one of the best out there. Uh, Max Olson, my colleague, did a, a story earlier today about uh, their stop rate, and they've been one of the best defenses in the country the last, ever since the Miami game. The Miami game was they, they kind of struggled, but ever since that game, they've been one of the better units in the country. Uh, but the defense can only carry you so far if you can't score any points. Against Alabama the week before, 306 yards and 20 points. That's not enough. It's not enough. For Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino, everybody on that side of the ball, they've got to do a better job on that side of the ball without question. All right, Sam, let's get down to brass tacks. So if they're going to find $76 million um, to buy out Jimbo Fisher, the question remains, Do you? how do you find a coach that can recruit to the level that he has, which he has clearly, like you said, done well, but is also innovative enough on both sides of the ball to where that pays off and you actually contend in your conference. That's the hard part about it is in, because the one thing Jimbo Fisher does do really well is recruit and they are at a level in terms of talent that they have never been in the modern internet recruiting era. I think the, the Kevin Sumlin's last five classes average rank was around 11th in the country. Jimbo's average class in the last five cycles is about six. So you're recruiting at a top six, top seven level nationally, which that is that puts you in the national championship conversation. But what what do you have all that talent for if you cannot maximize it, if you can't utilize it? So that's what makes this conversation so interesting because Jimbo can get you the players, but they haven't been able to do 
everything that you want them to do with them. They haven't been able to win an SEC title. They haven't even been able to go to the SEC championship game, um, much less much less win it. Uh, and and this is a program that has championship aspirations. And now they have when you have the money, you have the facilities, you have the fan support, and oh by the way, you have the talent now. You want to be able to do that, and and that that's the question. I don't I don't think there is an easy answer. That if you were to make a move, who do you go get? I mean, it's, you, you they went and hired a coach who won a national championship because that was their their aspiration, and so far he hasn't gotten it done. So where do you go after that when it doesn't work? That's a great question. That I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make that decision. Sam, would things be talked about differently right now, you think, if Connor Wegman had stayed healthy? And even then, is it kind of a situation almost like at Baylor right now where, like, injuries aren't even an excuse at this point? Uh, could it be different? Yes, because he is a better player than Max Johnson, in my opinion. Uh, could he have helped you uh, engineer some more points in the last two losses? Certainly. I, I think so. But do I do – I, think that you should throw the season away or discount the entire season because Max Johnson is a quarterback? No, because I don't see I don't see Max Johnson, even though he is not of the level of Connor Wegman, who's a former five star, Max Johnson's not a bad quarterback. Right. He 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 does have some flaws. He holds on to the ball a little bit long, uh, which with this offensive line is a little bit of a problem because they have struggled to protect him. Uh, you know he's he's had some bad picks in the last couple of games, but he's a capable quarterback to me. He's when, when you protect him, you give him time. He can pick a defensive part and and he can make it happen. And they they have enough talent around him that it shouldn't be that big of a deal to still be, go out there and score points. Certainly, he's good enough to get you more than 13 points against Tennessee, in my opinion. To me, I think they make it harder on him because. I don't see as many easy throws or quick developing plays for him. When's the last time Texas A&M ran a jet sweep? You know, something to Anaya Smith or Evan Stewart, something quick and easy to get the ball in their hands and not put all the pressure on your quarterback to take a three- or five-step drop and then have pressure in his face and throw the football. They've got to do a better job of making it easier on him because they have all the weapons and talent around him. So if they can't protect, Buddy, there's, there's, I can, I can list you a long list of teams over the years who have not been able to protect, but have been able to score points because you, you play to your strength and get the ball to your playmakers as quickly as you can. I don't think it's that hard, and that to me is where it, the indictment comes back on the coaching. Yeah, it seems like they're coaching offense scared, and I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it's incredibly, it appears to be uh, conservative. And you mentioned just a simple jet sweep. I don't know. I don't keep up with that, but. Do you feel like that they're just trying to win games twenty to seventeen every week? Yes, that is that feels like Jimbo Fisher in a nutshell. You know, he talks about winning the game of inches, and sometimes I, I understand that concept, and I think I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. But I feel like sometimes he plays and coaches not to lose as opposed to actually winning. And what is the point of having a talent advantage over somebody if you're not going to utilize it? Mm-hmm. And what drives me nuts is the last two weeks they've their defense has gotten a stop on third down late in the second quarter with about 90 seconds to go in the half. And both times the opponent was around midfield, so the punt was going to end up putting you you know back inside your own 20. But with multiple timeouts in this pocket, instead of calling the timeout with a minute 30 to give your offense some time to maybe try and run go downfield and maybe get a field goal before the half, 
He decided both times to let the let the opponent run 40 seconds off the clock, punt the ball with about 45 seconds, and then take a knee and go in the locker room at halftime. Both times, A&M had the lead. They had led Alabama by seven. They led Tennessee by three at halftime. Uh, and he was content to take that lead into the locker room. I, I wonder why not with the talent you have, why not take a little bit of a gamble and say, hey, let's see if we can add to this lead. Let's see if we can create something. What what if Anaya Smith gets uh get gets the punt and returns it a little bit? What if what if the ball goes off the side of the punter's foot and you get good field position? Any number of things could happen if you save yourself the time instead of pocketing five timeouts in the last two first halves. But that there's he hit Jimbo's position is that well they're gonna pin us deep. And I would rather take a knee and not risk us making a mistake because then what? And then if we go three and out and they have all their timeouts, well, they can go back and score. And I just I don't like that philosophy uh, of coaching because again, you have so much talent. Why not try to utilize? And I could understand that a little bit more against Tennessee because of how bad the protection was and they were a little bit deeper in their own territory. But against Alabama, when there was a seventeen ten and they did have some momentum and the offense was running pretty well in the first half. To me, that I was like, why wouldn't you go add to that lead? Why wouldn't you go try to get another three or even another seven and try to give yourself some space at a time when Alabama was struggling to protect its own quarterback? Yeah, Sammy, you know, the fourth down thing is a hu- is huge too. He never he never ever goes for it on fourth down. Um it's it it's like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do analytics. That's that's kind of clear. Uh and, you know, I guess there's good and bad with that. But also, um, you know, uh has he seen some of these other offenses that, you know, if you pin them at, you know, at the seven, their own 17 yard line, if they've got 90 seconds, they're not worried about it. Cause they think they can get at least enough to where if they punt it back, you, they can pin you on your 17. Yeah. And that goes back to confidence. That goes back to the confidence of, of your team and your players. And clearly there's not, because if, if they had the confidence, they could do it. Then they would go out there and try to, try to go get 30, 40 yards and get in the field goal position or, or like you said, at least change the field position to where the other team won't be able to score. And I think it speaks to the offensive line issues. This, this is a, a Texas A&M offensive line that has uh, allowed probably more pressure than just about anybody in the SEC and certainly one of some of the most pressured quarterbacks in the country belong to A&M. If you go back and look at the PFF numbers, I think Max Johnson and Connor Wigman both ranked pretty high in terms of how many pressures they face. Uh, from opposing defenses. So I understand that. And so you're coaching that way. But the fact that you are at that place right now with this team, with the talent you have, again, is an indictment on either evaluation of the recruits you brought in or development of the players that you signed. Because something is lost translation because all these guys they have on the on this offense, they were all recruited by other SEC programs. They were recruited by other Blue Blood programs. These are not guys that, Jimbo and his staff were just taking flyers on. These were legitimately, again, the team talent composite, A&M is number four in the country in, in talent. So they, they, the talent is there. So there's either it's an evaluation issue or it's a development issue or it's a coaching issue or it's a combination of the three. And, and when you have that issue and you don't have the confidence to go send your team out to go try to get some points before halftime, then that tells me that, that if you don't have the confidence, something is seriously, seriously wrong. Sam, one other AM question, and we appreciate your time as always and love the article. Is that, so it almost sounds like, without you saying this, that they're coaching scared on offense. Yeah. I mean, I think the last, I, I don't see how in the last two first halves, at the end of the last two first halves, how you can come up with any other 
any other conclusion. Because, again, the, and, and like I said, I understood the Tennessee thing. Because they were, I think, at their own 11. And Max Johnson was really taking some hits. And, and they were pressuring mm-hmm. the heck out of him. So I kind of understood that one a little bit more. But Alabama, the one, I just, man, when you, let, when, when you have that team and you know what a win against Alabama would do for your program, you have a chance to capitalize. You have a chance to open up a lead. And th- you know how many yards Alabama had rushing in the first half against Texas A&M? Minus 13. They had negative 13 rushing yards in the first half against A&M. And so you had a team that was vulnerable at that point. And granted, they threw the ball all over the yard against A&M's defense. But they were not having much success stopping A&M either. And I just it, – it, it fish- Jimbo's mentality, I think, has often been – you know, let's play it safe. That's the way he coaches. You go back, Paul mentioned the fourth downs. He has gone fourth down once each of the last two weeks, and they failed both times. And <laughs> That makes me think that he's probably not going to do it a lot more. But if you go back and look through the numbers, even when he was at Florida State, when he had national championship winning teams, Florida, uh, Florida State under Jimbo went for fourth down fewer than just about any other program in the country uh at that time. And then that kind of has carried over to A&M. I did, a, when he got hired at A&M, I did Run, ran those numbers because I was curious and people had said he rarely goes for it and I looked at it and it was true. He, he really does go for it less than most coaches do uh, in the country. Like, And I'm talking ranking in the bottom like 120, uh, you know, in the 120s and, you know, I guess now it would be close to 130. But he, that that is his philosophy and that is the way he has, has tried to win games. And it worked a lot first time at FSU for a good while. But at, at A&M when – they're playing the SEC West. You're playing against the Alabamas and the LSUs and some of these other programs that have the talent level that is commensurate with the one that you have. doesn't always work that way, and it hasn't worked out really well for them at A&M so far. Sam, just one uh, non-A&M question for me. I just wanted your thoughts on that Houston win the other night over West Virginia and just your thoughts on that craziness. And was that a situation where Houston fans celebrated immediately and they were like, oh, dang, we kind of wanted Dana to lose this game because <laughs> we don't love him. They're, they're in kind of a, a pickle, aren't they? Uh, you know, it's interesting because they're 3-3 and three now and you look at their schedule and you think to yourself, this is a team that could potentially go to a bowl game. Uh, you look at the back half of their schedule, they've got Baylor, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State in November. Uh, you would feel like those are winnable games for them, potentially, if they play the way they did against West Virginia. I was surprised to see what I saw from Houston last Thursday night. They played the best ball for four quarters that I've seen them play all season long. They look nothing like they did against Rice. They look nothing like they did against TCU. Nothing like they did against Texas Tech. They look like a competent team for four quarters. And then they <laughs> kind of let it all fall apart in the last seven minutes, but came up with a miracle finish. Um, it was certainly one of the most exciting innings I've seen. And, yeah, with Dana Holgerson, certainly there's been a lot of frustration there. But if he goes 6-6 six and six and gets to a bowl game, I think that's, that's an accomplishment. With consider When we consider how these newcomers have fared in the Big 12, uh, so far and, and how much of an adjustment it is in terms of talent and depth and going through this type of schedule for, for 12 weeks. If Houston goes six and six, gets to a bowl game, I think that's an accomplishment and it's a positive now. To, some fans going to get a little antsy and upset about that, maybe. But but I think uh, this week against Texas will set a little bit more of a mood too. Right. How competitive are you? I don't expect Texas to – I don't expect Houston to, to win this game. I don't expect Houston to honestly be even close in this game. I think the talent differential is pretty substantial. But if they are, if they can make it interesting, uh, maybe you can get yourself some positive momentum. 
and and I think that's really what's important. It, it's in less a win total. It's more of a mood. How are they playing? How are they executing? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? And if you if you can start to put some weeks together and string some weeks together where you're playing the type of football that you think you should play, then maybe you can start to rebuild this thing and, and start moving the trajectory back in the right direction. Just curious, but what's the excitement level that you gather as far as them hosting Texas? I mean, they could have had this at NRG and made a lot more money and had a lot more people. It probably would have been a heavy Longhorn crowd, but being on campus, the only time this is likely ever going to happen, is there a little bit of a buzz for that? Oh, big time. It, it's going to be the biggest biggest game in TDECU Stadium history, without question. Uh, it's the hottest ticket. They're sold out. There's only standing room, only tickets, I think, or all that's left at this point. And this is something Houston fans have wanted really, really badly. The last time Texas came to play Houston on campus was 2001. And, uh, it, it, you know, Texas hasn't been back since. Texas didn't really want to come back for, for some reasons that I'll write about later this week uh, with the bleacher fiasco that happened uh, at Robertson Stadium back then. But uh, this is one that, that Houston has wanted really, really bad. They're going to get one shot at it because I don't anticipate these programs are going to play again anytime in the near future. Uh, so, yeah, this, this is the one. I think Dana Holgerson said it on Monday morning that a lot of fans have told him, hey, if you don't win any other game on the schedule, please win this one. So there's a lot of excitement uh, in Houston for the Longhorns coming in town. Sam, what do you think about the short and long-term future of Dave Aranda at Baylor right now? God, it's, it's so tough to say because I think – when I look at it, the team has been really – they played really poorly. I mean, outside of, outside of you know, a quarter and a half against UCF with that rally to come back and win, they just really haven't garnered much enthusiasm. You don't look at the team and you don't see an edge and you don't see an energy that I think we saw two years ago when they won the Big 12 title. I wonder if even the talent level is even there anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know that I see the same talent level that I saw two years ago on that roster. Um, there's a chance here to bounce back, though. I mean, you, you look at the schedule and, you know, with Cincinnati and you got Houston on it, you know, and you got Iowa State on it, although Iowa State's playing a lot better right now than they were at the start of the year. But you, they've got to win something. They've got to get some momentum uh, because I think there are certainly a lot of fair questions about Aranda and what the direction of this program is long-term against uh, uh, under his watch because he's had one really good year, which was the Big 12 championship year, and – you know, a lot of that talent that was on that championship team was not necessarily talent that he brought on the roster. Uh, so I think those are fair questions to ask about, you know, what is Baylor football under Dave Aranda? And is this sustainable long-term? I think what happens down the stretch here and how they finish is going to be really crucial. I don't get the sense, and you guys probably know better than I, I don't know that Macros and, and, and leadership wants to have to make a change at the end of this year, but you, the, the results have to be better when, than what they are on the field right now. They, they, you cannot be losing 25 points at home to Texas Tech. You can't be losing 22 points at home to or 32 points at home to Texas. You've got you can't lose at home to, to Texas State by mm-hmm. double digits. You just it, it, that is just not okay. This is a program, a Baylor program that has won three Big 12 championships under three different head coaches in the last decade plus. This is a program that can compete at a high level, and for them to be playing the way they are, I can only imagine is unacceptable to the fans there. And so the, the way this team finishes and the way they come out these next five, six weeks is going to be really crucial and is going to, I think, be really instructive about what the future of this program is under Dave Aranda. Sam, as always, thank you, buddy. Appreciate your time. Somebody in the chat room said they love your work. Appreciate your uh, 
ability to, to get the stories and, and do what you do. Sam Kahn with The Athletic. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.